0: Hey guys, it's Mariah. Welcome to your Tuesday episode. We have a little something different this week. So we had to take a break last week. And unfortunately, life just kept coming at Nikki and I, and we weren't able to get a new episode put together for you guys this week. So we didn't want another week to go by without releasing something for all of you lovely listeners. So we decided to pull an episode from our Patreon bonus episodes and release it onto our main feed So that is what you're going to listen to this week. But don't worry, we will be back in action and back to our regularly scheduled Tuesday release episodes next week. So we appreciate your patience and support. While we just, you know, try to get caught up. You know how it is. Life sometimes just gets the best of you and uh, we're just trying to get back into our groove. So please enjoy this week's episode from our Patreon monthly releases. And if you enjoy the episode head on over to Patreon and join us. You get access to episodes like this one every single month. You get early release on episodes, on the weekly episodes. You can also join our book club, which is a lot of fun. We meet monthly to discuss books that are picked out and selected for the group. It's a blast. And we also have exclusive candles and bookmarks and all sorts of fun little goodies for our Patreons. So if you feel inclined to join us, we would love to have you uh, It's Patreon, Body to Burial. And thank you again for your understanding. And we will see you next week with a new episode. But in the meantime, please enjoy this week's episode.
1: This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised.
0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Nikki. And I'm Mariah. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Body to Burial.
2: Good afternoon. This is Cyan.
0: Hey, Sam, it's Mariah.
2: Hello, good afternoon.
0: Hi, how are you?
2: Marvelous. Yes,
0: it's such a good day today. Nikki, this is Sam. Sam, this is Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Hi. Thank you for taking the time this afternoon to speak with us. We're really excited. I honestly can't wait to jump in and learn more about you and what you do. An easy way to start for us is how would you describe what you do in a sentence, maybe two?
2: As an emergency management psychologist, I tend to focus on the mental health aspects of crisis and disaster, whether that be individual crisis, such as a suicide or if more of a community level event, such as a tornado, mass shooting, those sorts of things.
0: Okay. And so let's talk larger scale. And then I am interested on the private scale. So I read over your resume that you sent me over and one of the things that you had on here for incident response is nine eleven and that you were working with Fortune 500 companies. Essentially, when an incident like that happens, these companies reach out to you directly and you come and work in-house. Like, what does the process look like?
2: Well, with nine eleven, I was a part of an employee assistance program response to lower Manhattan.
0: And so what does that mean? Did you go on the ground in New York or do you work remotely?
2: I was on the ground in New York. We um, got the request for service on 9-11 and started driving up on 9-12 and was there for about three to four weeks.
0: I'm trying to like picture what happens when you get there. Are these one-on-one counseling sessions? Is it meetings with supervisors? What's the objective and who are you meeting with?
2: During on 11, we provided mostly groups uh, and some consultations to manager level and upper management. So most of our work was done in groups. If there were folks that were having particular difficulties as many were, we could meet individually, but most of the our time was spent in groups. Just because there were so many folks that were requesting service due to the enormity of the event.
1: If something happens, do they search that out on their own or was there just like response teams, like at a hospital? How would they find you?
2: Well, the the companies, uh, as part of their insurance uh, company, Oh, okay um, they would many times have a subcontract with employee assistance program providers, of which I was one of the subcontractors,
0: yeah, so I guess for companies, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, but larger companies, usually part of their insurance policies or just operations, have a company that provides services like these in case something happens, and then they offer it to their employees. Is that correct? Yes. These are typically, would you say they're therapy sessions? Are they workshops? Are they tools? What does the actual program look like?
2: Many times in a response, such as 9-11, the response protocol would be to provide information about the event, how it's being handled, and then also providing information about particular kinds of psychological stressors that may be incurred during this type of an event, the kinds of coping mechanisms that would also go along with those signs and symptoms.
0: What are some examples of signs or symptoms that they may have experienced?
2: So in any kind of crisis event, we can talk about basically five categories of reactions. The first category has to do with physical reactions. You can think of that in terms of medical reactions, such things as increased heart rate, increased respiratory rate, um, increased blood pressure, sweaty palms, those sorts of things. Now, those are normal and expected kinds of reactions that are physical in nature to a traumatic event. However, there are some abnormal responses to crisis as well. And some of those would be reactions that would need to be referred to a higher level of care immediately. So such things as unusual headaches, chest pain, difficulty breathing, bleeding, those sorts of things would need to be immediately. So a second category of reactions has to do with cognitive reactions or error, our ability to think. So problems concentrating, problems attending, problems remembering things, problems sequencing, those are all higher cortical functions That happen in their prefrontal cortex. And because of the physiological response in their bodies to stress, adrenaline, cortisol, the cascading neurochemicals and hormones, it's the prefrontal cortex that is impacted the first and the most. And that's where our executive functions lie. So our ability to reason, our ability to abstract, think, are uh, quickly diminished during times of crisis. So some of those are some of the typical kinds of reactions. Some of the abnormal thinking reactions could be such things as delusions, thoughts that are not based in reality. It could also be such things as hallucinatory events. The hallucinatory events can have various components. Um. It could be auditory in nature, it could be tactile in nature, it could be visual in nature. The the visual and the auditory hallucinations are the ones that are the most common. Um, And during or immediately after a traumatic event, we don't get too terribly upset if those are present, especially if those are in the periphery of the experience, such as if a person thinks that they hear the voice of their grandmother singing a hymn that she liked in the next room. Where it's kind of muffled, they can't really understand it, but they think they might have heard her a little bit. They don't get too upset about that. However, if we get reports that the person hears very clearly and distinctly their deceased grandmother saying, you need to come to the cemetery and you need to kill yourself so you can be with me. Those kinds of command hallucinations we take very seriously and refer to a higher level of care because those are abnormal in nature. Similarly, tactile towel, or touch hallucinations, anytime those happen, that needs to be referred to a higher level of care because that is indicative of more of a, a medical pathology gone awry. And we know this from folks that have been abusing drugs. And many times folks who are detoxing off of various drugs, medications, alcohol. When the body is withdrawing or experiencing withdrawals from substance abuse, that's a physiological response. Many times folks who are going through DTs, delirium tremens, many times experience feeling ants crawling on their skin or worms crawling under their skin those sorts of tactile hallucinations where there there's really not anything crawling on or under their skin. But it's a physiological response to the absence of those drugs. Likewise if that happens in a traumatic event, we know that there's a physiological cause for that, and that would need to be referred to medical care immediately. The third category of reactions and that has to do with behavioral reactions. Uh, Behavioral reactions can be anything from changes in eating habits, sleeping habits, interpersonal relationship style, that sort of thing. So some folks during traumatic events, they're going to need to take a nap uh, during the event response. While other folks, they're going to be wired for the next three or four days and they may not be able to sleep at all. While other folks, they may need to have snacks during the event response. While other folks, they may not be able to eat for the next three or four days. The mere sight or smell of food and they may get nauseated. Likewise, there can be changes in interpersonal relationship styles. If a person is traditionally gregarious and outgoing in the life of the party, uh, if there's a sudden change in that status, such as they become quiet and withdrawn, again, a change in behavior then that would be of concern. Likewise, if someone was normally quiet and reserved and then became gregarious and outgoing, again, a change in behavior, a change in how we typically experience folks. And that also incorporates a lot of the social interactions as well. Those are some of the normal behavioral reactions, some of the abnormal behavioral reactions, such things as violence towards self, towards others, towards animals, toward inanimate objects, such as walls, those sorts of things. That would need to be referred to a higher level of care. Any sorts of violence, again, towards self or others, such as suicide or homicide, would need to be referred immediately as well. Any sort of seizure activity would also need to be referred to a higher level of care. A fourth category of reactions... Has to do with emotional reactions. So there can be sadness and there can be worry and there can be frustration and those sorts of things. And those are normal reactions from an emotional standpoint to a traumatic event. And many times those emotional reactions can feel like a roller coaster ride with the ups and downs and twists and turns that many of those can happen all within like a five second period of time which can be scary in and of itself, those tend to dissipate after an event. However, the abnormal emotional reactions are those normal reactions that become debilitating. So if worry becomes debilitating, it turns into anxiety. If sadness becomes debilitating, it turns into depression. So again, any of the typical kinds of normal reactions from an emotional standpoint that become debilitating Those would need to be referred to a higher level of care. The fifth category of reactions has to do with spiritual reactions. Now, within this, there may be religious reactions, but spiritual, when we're talking about that, it's much more on the 50,000-foot view, if you will. So, asking that little tiny three-letter word question, why? Why did this have to happen? Why did it have to happen to me? Why did it have to happen to them? Why did it have to happen now? The questioning of why and trying to make sense of the experience many times be challenging for folks. Now, sometimes spirituality and religion can help explain that to folks. Many times some of the religious underpinnings address the question, is man basically good or evil? Now, man, meaning human beings. If the philosophy is humans are basically evil, then we can expect bad things. However, if we have the standpoint humans are basically good and something bad happens, something evil happens, especially if it's intentional, then that can really send us into a spiritual spiral, if you will. And we've experienced a number of those sorts of things within the past years. Here of late, the active shooter situations. human trafficking kinds of situations, where it's intentional acts perpetrated on humans by other humans. That really tends to send people into a spiritual tailspin, as opposed to if things were to happen, if you will, naturally, such as through nature, such as a hurricane fires, an earthquake, We can accept or wrap our heads around that because weather simply happens. Weather has physics behind it, and we can kind of understand things through science. But when an event occurs that is human-caused, whether that be accidental or intentional, but especially if it's intentional, that can really send people into a spiritual tailspin.
1: I could see that because that would be hard to wrap your brain around when it's, right. like, yeah. When you're saying all these things, I had just gone through therapy with, um, just with processing to a couple deaths in my life. And it's funny how it applies to even just, No, I wouldn't say common things like, because I mean, it wasn't like a major thing happened, you know, with multiple people. It was just people within our family. But yeah, it is kind of like what you're talking about is during too, I was started doing grief therapy because I was having the like whys and everything that you just kind of listed.
2: And those are, those are some typical kinds of reactions from a spiritual nature to a traumatic event. Now there can be some abnormal spiritual reactions that we can talk about as well. Now okay. some of the abnormal spiritual reactions have to do with the cessation of religious practices. So if a person feels abandoned by God or their deity or their higher power, that would be concerning. If their spiritual or religious rituals no longer hold meaning, Houston, we've got a problem. The other characteristic of an abnormal spiritual reaction. And this has been added to the list probably some five to eight years ago. And that is when one person or a group of people attempt to force their religious or spiritual beliefs onto other folks. That is now determined to be an abnormal spiritual reaction to crisis. So if we look back at various kinds of religious rituals, Going into the spiritual structure and uh, falling on your knees at the altar and praying fervently. If that no longer holds meaning, then we have a problem. Uh, So one of the other things that I wanted to address, and that is people tend to have difficulty processing an event that goes against their... Views in life, their perspective in life, the way they've been brought up, if you will. By that I mean we have we develop through our life, starting as as infants, we have certain rules that we kind of assume to be true. And those are called worldviews. World views are are those Assumptions that we make, or we may have been told them, um, that this is the way the world works, this is what we can expect. One of the world views that many times folks encounter first is the the concept of Santa Claus, of the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, those sorts of things. Now, I will give the disclaimer that if any of the listeners are underage, you might want to pause the podcast at this point. Um, (laughs) True. The concept of Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth fairy, are fairy tales that are generated by well-meaning parents and relatives. But if you will recall... That moment in time, however old you were, and hopefully that wasn't today, <laughs> that you had the epiphany that Santa Claus was someone other than some guy that was somewhat overweight, dressed in red and white, and was transported by a sleigh with reindeer. When you realized that that wasn't actually the case, That Santa Claus was actually your parents or your caregiver. Do you remember that sensation that you had that the earth had just tilted on its axis? (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah. That
2: that is a perfect example. That is a perfect example of a violation of a worldview. Mm -hmm. However simplistic as it may be. The same thing can happen with the concept of the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy. That moment in time that we realize, however it comes to be, that these are not necessarily based in reality. These are fantasies. These are fairy tales. Our world changes. We thought we understood the world given Santa Claus. Now we have to adjust to a world with a different concept, a different construct of Santa Claus. Now, crisis can do the same sort of thing. Crisis can violate worldviews that we have either consciously or more likely unconsciously accepted in life. now, I'll ask you all and the listeners to try to think of some of the worldviews that we hold um Right now, can you think of some of the worldviews? Let me think. Chances are it's it's kind of difficult to think of, well, I'm not for sure what that means.
1: Like, yeah. Uh.
2: Because worldviews are typically residing just under conscious awareness. That's why we have some difficulty articulating. However, once I give you some examples then some will probably percolate up. Well, here's a worldview that um, many times can get violated. Parents shouldn't have to bury their children.
0: Oh, that's a good one. Yeah.
2: That worldview explains perfectly why we get so upset when an infant, when a child, when a young person dies.
0: Yeah, it goes against what you think the natural order of what you expect life to be—you get so frustrated.
2: Exactly. So another worldview that many times will get violated, and sometimes that can get violated fairly early on. The world is a just and fair place. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, yeah.
2: Well, that yeah. kind of falls by the wayside pretty quickly, now, doesn't it?
0: Yes, <laughs> it does.
2: Interacting with other people many times will. Violate that one, but hearkening back to something that I'd mentioned earlier too, and that is how do we conceptualize the nature of humans? Do we believe people to be basically good or basically evil? If we believe that people are basically good, then why do we have to have rules? Mm. Why do we have to have stoplights? Why do we have to have police officers? if we believe that people are basically evil then the concept of rules and police officers—that seems to be kind of the natural progression of things.
1: That makes sense when you put the way you describe everything. Makes sense when you give the examples.
0: But now <laughs> I just feel like stuck in chaos because I'm thinking, like, what do I believe? <laughs> do I believe <laughs> that people are genuinely good? But then when you're like, well, then you wouldn't need cops and you wouldn't need stoplights. And I'm like, well, then maybe we are actually bad. Are we? <sighs> Gosh, Sam, I don't know. I'm going to have to really think about that. And Ah. this is
2: what crisis and trauma can bring into question. Some other things that crisis and trauma can bring into question is the nature of health. We're born relatively healthy. We may develop allergies or we may have accidents, but are we normally healthy? How do we explain folks that aren't normally healthy? They may have severe allergies or they may have severe illness early on in life. Well, other folks seemingly go through life with no diseases. Where's the fairness in life? Ah, and then comes back, the world is a just and fair place. Is the world a just and fair place? No one ever said that it was supposed to be. We assumed that it would be. Yeah. We also many times assumed, and we may have actually heard these words or these sentences come out of our parents' mouths or our older relatives' mouths, be sure to get a good education so you can get a good-paying job. Yep. (laughs) So does it equate that if you get a higher level of education that you're going to get a higher-paying job? No. No.
0: That's what you're
2: taught, but that's not how it works usually. That's not the reality of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know some folks that I went to elementary school with that they did not go to college. They went to trade school, they went to vocational school, and they did get more trade education. And they're making lots more money than I'm making right now. <laughs> yeah. Because they're working on Lamborghinis and all sorts <laughs> of foreign cars. Yep. So the fallacy of, okay, if you get a good education, then you're going to get a good job and you're going to have plenty of money. Again, it's these violations of our worldview that when they happen, it causes us to scratch our head and many times will send us into a psychological tailspin, questioning life, questioning what really is life. How am I supposed to navigate this place called earth that I thought I understood? And crisis and disaster can bring that into question. Again, whether that's large-scale disaster or whether that's interpersonal kinds of crisis such as child abuse, elder abuse, neglect, or mistreatment, rape, forgery, being robbed, any of those sorts of things can have the potential of violating a worldview. Now, not every crisis is going to violate a worldview because some folks believe that human beings are basically evil. And when something evil happens, it, they just kind of chalk it up to, see, told you so. And they're able to, to continue on in life. While other folks, they get all wrapped around an axle about it. So when the president of Russia does these horrific things to folks in Ukraine, people get all wrapped around the axle.
1: I think that's me you're talking about. because <laughs> I'm yeah. And I, me
2: too. There's also some degree of uncertainty that we're willing to accept and some that we're not. Yeah. Then comes the more complicating factor of the degree to which this violates a worldview. It's not an all or nothing kind of thing. It's not a, the worldview is violated or it's not. Very much like we used to have the sensation, the lights are either on or they're off. Well, now we have dimmer switches.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you
2: know what? We have dimmer switches in our ability to cope as well.
1: Do you find that a lot more people are more like how I am, where you want to think everybody's good, and then it's hard when someone shows you that they're not good to come to terms with that? Or do you feel like more people are pessimistic, or it's just half and half?
2: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some folks uh, whose worldview gets violated when people act ugly... Um, that's what drives some people into wanting to seek therapy because they're needing to explore this to try to understand this chaos. Mm -hmm. While other folks who may accept that their constellation, that the humans are basically evil, they can also become somewhat burned out or toxic in that, wow, I had no idea that things could get this bad. Mm. that things could get this putin bad <laughs> uh if you will <laughs> um so there's again there there can be degrees to which world views are violated as well some folks are able to be flexible about that um and some folks have a high threshold some people have a low threshold
0: so i'm trying to think about this in a simple simple way and i was Thinking back about your Santa Claus reference, and my son is going to be 12 this summer. And so I'm pretty sure last Christmas was our last Christmas that he believed in Santa. So when a, a child comes into this realization that this magical, good, fuzzy, warm, exciting Christmas experience isn't reality, as a parent, as emergency management... What's the best way to help someone cope through the realization of things aren't what you thought they were?
2: I found the best way to to deal with this is head on, but to do it in a kind and thoughtful way. So let's take an example of your son and you're starting to detect that he's seeing the fact that Santa Claus... Eh, I'm not for sure if, I am, if I'm still buying this. You can ha- start having a conversation with them, maybe during Halloween or maybe during Thanksgiving. about So what I'm hearing you say a few times or what I'm seeing in your behavior is that um, this concept of Santa Claus that we've embraced for so long, you may have some questions about that. So you can help anticipate their questions. You can ask the question for them. You can open the door that they're about to knock on anyway. Yeah.
0: Yeah, After last Christmas, I actually sat down. I journal to my kids. Um, It's just this like weird habit that I have. And I write things about milestones or whatever but I had journaled in there an idea for a letter that I was thinking of giving him this year which was kind of like inviting him into the magic kind of like what you said getting it head-on and saying hey this entire thing that we've built is this magical experience that we do because it makes us feel good and it makes us excited to see you excited and He has a younger sister, so it was kind of like this invitation to join us in getting that magic for her and getting her excited Um, and kind of, I don't know, transitioning him into a different part of it. So I can see how when there's a transition that is going to rock their foundation, approaching it head on, and then I think Nikki can really speak to this because her mom passed away not too long ago, and it really shook, obviously, herself and her kids, and so I think... Again, what I think you are saying is you just have to head on address their feelings and help them transition into this new, I don't know, I guess this new life that it's life is ever changing and circumstances change. And yeah, I guess it's just, it's all about transitioning into what is now instead of what was
2: It's all about adapting to reality because reality seems to ever be changing. And here recently, our realities seem to be changing very, very quickly, whether that be political issues, whether that be economic issues, whether that be medical issues, pandemic issues, vaccine issues, how we treat people that live in the next country to us that may only be two miles away, our realities continue to morph and change and change. And we know that any sort of change can be stressful. And it is our task in life to continue to adapt to our reality by developing appropriate coping mechanisms. Now, the appropriate coping mechanisms, you all have done a beautiful job of manifesting, talking with uh, children, helping them anticipate things going on in their life, addressing things as they come up. Those are all healthy ways of dealing with reality, and as reality changes, as reality, if you will, develops naturally across the developmental Spectrum as we age, that's going to be important to do. Now, some folks, they resist adapting. They resist changing, uh, very much like Sheldon does on the Big Bang Theory.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Some of us are Sheldon. Um, yeah. <laughs> that we we stomp our feet and we say, no, I'm not going to accept this new change. Uh, I'm just not going to do it. however some folks go so far as to say you know uh, i'm going to stick my fingers in my ears and i'm going to go blah 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 blah. i'm not going to listen to this i'm not going to consider this and they choose an alternate reality via substances Mm. whether that be medications whether that be legal or illegal drugs or alcohol as a way to say no 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 i don't want to no, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want it to be that way.
1: I feel like you're you're speaking to um, how I feel where because I'm like, I'm not good with change. Like Annie, growing up, I lived in the same house. And then my parents have been together forever. And I've worked in the same city I grew up in. And then little by little, I've had change. Obviously, I moved out of where I grew up and all that. But then when my mom had passed, I mean, it was just like a huge sudden change. And it's been about a year and a half now. And that's when I decided to do some grief therapy that kind of turned into life therapy that's helped with adapting to what you're saying, like change and like how that looks now. And it's hard. Change is hard. Kills me. I But I'm trying. I just want everything to stay the same. But then you realize things are always changing.
2: And if things stayed the same, we wouldn't have an asylum. hmm
1: Yeah. <laughs> If yeah. things
2: stayed the same, we wouldn't have paramedics that could provide life-saving medical care on scene.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: However, if the change is so very significant, and I'll speak from my experience as well, and its I think some of you are going to resonate with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my mom to lung cancer. A number of years ago. And I suspended my practice in Chattanooga and I moved back home to help take care of her and my dad, who she was taking care of. Okay. And when my mom died, something happened that I did not anticipate. Even though I had a PhD, <laughs> I didn't anticipate this. When my mom died, there was this sudden, overwhelming feeling of orphandom. Uh, yeah where in the hell did
1: that come (laughs) from that and
2: how do we adapt to that and i want to encourage folks to talk about your experiences don't just let those magical moments fade away talk about them legitimize them share them with others because chances are by me sharing this very <laughs> embarrassing moment that I didn't <laughs> know about the potential orphandom syndrome when a significant parent dies yeah and and yes i'll admit I was a I, I'm a mama's boy, so <laughs> yes when she died, I felt a, 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 the abandonment yeah. the, the orphandom part yeah When we lose someone so very significant to us, it can rock our world in some very unexpected ways and it's important to talk about them both before it happens and when it happens and after it happens mm. because chances are by me just simply mentioning this that happened in my life it will also be acknowledged by some other folks yeah that are listening to this that they're like, oh my gosh, yes,
1: I felt that also. <laughs> well, even you just there saying may that.
2: Be some other listeners that are like, no, this guy is totally nuts, and he's off his drunkard. He needs to, to be, you know, put into a, a, a psychiatric hospital.
1: <laughs> I get that, because I felt kind of a little bit of the, you know, my dad is still alive, and we have, you know, a good relationship, and it's a weird feeling. It's a, what now? <laughs> you know, like.
2: There's another situation that has gained some strength, both fortunately and unfortunately. And we have come to learn about this, unfortunately, from folks who have served in air military, particularly those of the Vietnam-era veterans. Mm -hmm. And with that, the Vietnam-era veterans have really put a spotlight on a situation where whether they volunteered to serve in the military or whether they were drafted, they participated. They actually did things that go contra to the way they were raised. They were... Ordered to do things that they wouldn't normally do. And again, whether they volunteered to go serve in the military or whether they were drafted.
1: Yeah.
2: That that situation of confusion of wait a minute. I was raised to believe this. And I was taught these morals. And I was taught this kind of compass in life to help keep me on the straight and narrow. And I have used that compass successfully up until this point. And when those Vietnam era veterans started having difficulty, when some people back in the States started having difficulty with those veterans, Mm -hmm. because those veterans did some things that were against their morals. They had a difficult time reconciling that. How can this happen? How can these people that we grew up with, who we went to elementary school with, junior high, middle school, high school with, that we worked with, how could they go about doing these sorts of things? We now have the concept of moral injury. It's similar to but it's different than post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. Moral injury can be either internal or external. The moral injury can be that we, our own person, we have done things in life that violate our own moral code, our own ethics, our own life compass. We may have done that because we thought it was at Best interest at the time. We may have done it because we were ordered to by maybe a commander or by a boss Mm -hmm. or by a relative or by someone that we perceive to be more powerful, more knowing than us. It could be that we did some things because the person that we thought was the leader, they knew best, even though we kind of may have scratched our head and thought, I'm not for sure about this, but we voted for them, so they must know what's best. Mm -hmm. There can also be an external moral injury when other people we affiliate with, that we know of, when they violate a moral code that we thought, that we assumed that they espoused to as well. Because they live next door to us, because we went to kindergarten with them, because we went to elementary school with them, because we went to Sunday school with them, because we went to the same civic club, because we went to church with them, because we went to the same ballot box with them, we can have moral injury when other folks violate those rules that many times are unwritten. Related to that can be the concept of moral abandonment. Here We may see ourselves as abandoning our own morals, or other folks are abandoning their morals and may be separating from us, or we may see ourselves as separating from society because we're making some sort of decision against the morals in which we thought we espoused. These sorts of things are now starting to be the nature of psychological crisis in the year 2022 and beyond.
0: Sam, I have a couple of questions that I've written down. Um, One of them is I wanted to understand from your perspective— like, for instance, going back to the um, 9-11, you said that you guys left and headed that way on nine twelve. So I would imagine that it's challenging to provide the why and the information to these people that went through the crisis when you yourself are still trying to process what happened and the why. What is that like?
2: Exactly. And that was actually next on my list to talk about, and that is... I alluded to it earlier that just because I have a Ph.D. in psychology, uh, I should be immune to this crap. Yeah. I should have learned all that there needs to be known about this, and I should be able to anticipate this for myself and for everyone in my presence. Not so much. Just because I have some knowledge about something doesn't automatically give me the flu shot let that one sink in. Yeah. Case in point, nine eleven. I was very much in my operations mode the morning of 9-11 when I was staffing a case with Mary from CMI in Atlanta. We were staffing a case as we both heard on the news of the first plane that went into the trade center. We took pause and we like, wow, that's really strange. Now, yeah. they had clients that were Uh, housed in the World Trade Centers. But when we continued staffing the case and we both witnessed the second plane going in at the same time, Mary said, you know, I think I need to end the conversation because we're going to start getting some calls from Manhattan. And we ended that call and I was on even a higher alert phase because of what was starting to transpire. So from that day forward... For the next month, I was in operations mode of providing care to folks that were acutely impacted by the events of 9 11. So, even though I was in a hotel in lower Manhattan and I was working many hours a day, we would go out to dinner at night and we would have some off time. Um, and then we would go back and do the same thing the very next day. We were all still very much in operations mode, mind you we were going to work helping to manage the situation while the rest of the nation the world started their mourning process and started their own healing the responders myself included we did not start our mourning process or our healing process because we were still on the job so when i left lower manhattan and i came home to chattanooga To stay, that's when my healing started. Mm. That's when my grieving started. So much so that for a number of days, I couldn't even put together a comprehensible sentence.
0: That just has to be so hard, so hard.
2: So there can be a delayed response to critical incident stress. But I also want folks to know that we may delay our response to it but we will have a response to it.
0: It always catches up with you, right? Whether conscious or not.
2: Whether we want to or not, we're going to have a response to it. Now it's going to be us to acknowledge that response and to process that response and to try to make sense of that response. And more importantly, know when to reach out to other folks to help you process that response. Because even though... I was a newly minted PhD and had just finished a counseling psychology program that focused on crisis intervention and disaster mental health. I had to rely on my colleagues to assist me. But just because I had studied it did not make me immune to the power of it.
0: The first time that happened to you, did that catch you off guard? Because was there ever this false sense of like anything that traumatic is going to happen? I'm going to be prepared for it. I'm going to know how to anticipate it and cope with it and deal with it. Or because I almost feel like if I were in your shoes, I would almost have this like Superman effect where it's like, nothing can touch me because I'm prepared and I know all the answers and I'm going to be able to get through.
2: So far it has caught me on surprise, at least on two occasions. And I think I now have wisdom enough to know that the third is probably approaching the two that caught me by surprise was nine 11. And then also my mother's death. Those things caught me by surprise because I was in the moment and I had to also realize that before I was a psychologist, before I was an emergency management psychologist, I was a human
0: mm-hmm.
2: and darn it. I still am.
0: The other thing I was curious to kind of poke you about is, you know, Nikki and I talked to a lot of different individuals that work within the police department or the coroner system, FBI agents, lot, lots of people that are exposed to traumatic events either firsthand or kind of down the line, is there a way that we can work to encourage these individuals to seek out care without the negative stigma that they feel is attached to it?
2: Yes, there is. And yes, there are mechanisms in place to assist folks. Probably 25, 30 years ago, a guy in Baltimore a firefighter, paramedic, started seeing the effect of traumatic stress on his colleague. Many times, that would be dealing with children or young people, or if there was a line of duty death or a line of duty injury of a colleague. Those sorts of events would really get under the skin of a firefighter or of a paramedic, or in law enforcement if there was a line of duty death of another officer or an injury or a civilian was injured those sorts of events would typically really get under the skin of an emergency responder and this guy said you know we need to do something to help address this and he decided to pull together some theories that he had learned about as he was going to college, and he put together this process called a psychological debriefing, where peers could come together and talk about those difficult situations and to get some resolve um, to that, to be able to air out their concerns, their frustrations, in an environment that was not going to judge them, that was not going to critique them, but simply allow them to process what they had experienced. Now, the best folks to do that, he had determined, were other peers that had gone through something similar. In a way, um, some folks that could mentor them in dealing with the stresses of the job. And out of that concept came... What we now know of as critical incident stress debriefing (CISD). A CISD, a critical incident stress debriefing, is a protocol. It is a meeting where folks get together and they talk about a traumatizing event, and the intent is to ventilate uh, their reactions to that event, which may be physical in nature, which may be cognitive in nature, which may be. be Behavioral in nature, could be emotional in nature, could be even spiritual in nature. And did you detect it? I just talked about those five categories of reactions
1: again?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, It's coming back, isn't it? (laughs) They're able to address the various aspects of that event and how it impacted them. And they're able to discern out which of those are normal reactions and which ones of those are abnormal reactions so that the folks who are having abnormal reactions can seek help from a higher level of care.
1: That's wonderful. That's great. Well, we could keep you all day, because this is fascinating, but we want to be mindful of your time.
0: I appreciate your job and what you're doing. I really respect it. So keep it up. Yeah. It's incredible.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I plan on continuing to do this craziness um, as long as I possibly can. And for all of the all of your listeners that are out there that are in their own professions, and for you two uh, particularly for doing this show, for all of the folks that are out there doing their own work, the passion that they have for doing the work that they do, for many times expending the extra time and energy and effort for doing the things that are on your job description. And even those that fall under the other duties as assigned, but more importantly, for doing those tasks that you did that no one knows about that needed to be done anyway, for caring about other folks, for many times doing a very thankless job, I want to say thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for caring enough to do what you do. And thank you for being you.
0: Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at body to burial dot com. If
1: you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to.
0: Thanks so much, guys. See you next time.